Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's swechangehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 73 with the title, You've Seven Seconds, Make Them Count. And I have the absolute honour and privilege to welcome Sylvie DiGiusto. Sylvie describes herself as someone who helps professionals around the world understand what their first and lasting impression says about them and how it impacts the way they perceive themselves. When I asked Sylvie to describe her superpower, she said, in her work, it's substance, significance and creativity. And at home, empathy, happiness and responsibility. Hello, Sylvie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled and excited to be with you. I've been looking forward to this as well since we met a few weeks back at uh, that conference in Dublin. Mm -hmm. It's been great to, to have you finally here. So, Sylvie, tell me, you've seven seconds. How do we make them count? Well, let me start with an example, one that you actually just mentioned. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure to uh, join a conference in Dublin where some of the most successful speakers from around the world gather to learn. And just imagine me walking into this room where there are around 300 people. And instantly, within the first seconds, somebody in that huge crowd stood out to me. I instantly saw her, noticed her, wanted to know more about her, wanted to get to know her, wanted to feel out that person because she stood out. And guess what? That was you, Joanne. And so you made your seven seconds definitely count because we know that it has nothing to do with the fact if you are a good human being, a bad human being, we walk into meetings at work, we uh, walk into meetings with clients, and people instantly, instantly kind of judge you, like it or not, we make assumptions. And in the best case, those are good assumptions, like I heard about you and I instantly thought, this is a person I need in my life, and I'm so excited that we reconnected. Wow. Wow, you, you kind of maybe you're all flustered there, and <laughs> kind of uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I, I'm very honoured you think so, and I I could be agree completely that we are as a human species, we are kind of have this bias, this fight, flight, freeze mechanism on our head, and that mm -hmm. first seven seconds is that window of opportunity to establish who we are with somebody else, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And again, it has nothing to do if you are a female or a male, if you are old or young, if you are in your body or in the body of Mother Teresa. We all do it. It's actually brain performance happening. There is science behind it that tells us kind of exactly what happens in our brains. It doesn't really matter if it's seven seconds or milliseconds, if it's 11 seconds. There are different studies out there, but all of them have in common that we do form opinions about somebody instantly based on what I call the A, B, C, D, E of a first impression. And if you don't mind, I run you quickly through that framework that you know um, how 
how you can use this to your advantage, especially at work. The A stands for your appearance, the way you look. Like it or not, we are all visual creatures. Our brains are actually quite lazy. They don't like to work, so they take a shortcut through our eyes. We look at somebody and instantly based on their body image, their clothing, their skin, their teeth, their smile, their hair, their accessories, we think we know something about that person. Is it fair? No, it isn't. Does it happen? Absolutely. But um, just to be clear, looking good is great, but it's not, not enough because at one point we are going to be for behave. Your attitude. Is it positive? Is it negative? Do you have the aura like you have that I instantly was gravitating towards you and thought, I want to know more about that person based on her behavior, emotional intelligence? Um, how do you, um, for example, apply business etiquette skills? Do you look somebody in the eyes or not? Do you shake somebody's hands or not? Are you on your phone all the time? So how do you behave in micro moments that might not be relevant to you, but at work might be relevant for your client or for your boss or for your team member? And then at one point, you're going to say something. So it's the C for communication. And it's about what you say and how you say it. Let's first start with how you say it. Your voice is a very powerful tool. It's like an instrument that you play every single day. And most of us never learn to play that instrument. We just play it. And how do you communicate? Are you uh, a clear communicator? Are you a passive-aggressive communicator? How do you start conversations? What do you actually say? Uh, your tone, your pace, your voice. Do you have an accent like I have? Uh, do you have specific uh, patterns, communication patterns that you apply? That ABC is a very common model. I have added the D though for your digital footprint because I find that nowadays most often we don't make a first impression anymore in person. I was lucky to meet you in person the first time, but in reality, most often we make a first impression with the emails that we send, with the social media profiles that we create, with the conscious and unconscious digital footprint that we leave behind on the internet. And if you are at work and think, well, my social media that is personal, that is private, that has nothing to do with my personal, uh, with my professional life, then you are very wrong because if there are two things that don't belong together it's the internet and it's private right and then the environment the environment you operate in the e4 environment are the people you hang out with the people you surround yourself are they all alikes lookalikes or do you put conscious effort into surrounding yourself with people you can learn something from but also your environment such as the office the car that you drive the house that you live you are going on vacation everything that we find out about you and your environment will influence the instant opinion we have about you so thank you very much for letting me quickly run through, but now you know how with your A, B, C, D, E, you can actually a little bit control the imprint you make on others. What you can't control, and you are such an expert in that topic, is which unconscious biases you are fighting on the other side. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting because one of the things I've 
come to think about over the last few years is that whilst we want to strive to eliminate unconscious bias, to create fairness, create opportunity, mm-hmm. as a, an entrepreneur, as you are, we want to play those biases. We have mm-hmm, to understand mm-hmm. the biases that are in play. And as you say, the A, B, C, D, E, we have to think about how we're going to come across. So we want to influence someone's bias positively, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. let them, not, and almost like control that conversation in that way, isn't it? Because we're, we're giving them the hell that we want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. They're then reacting to our the information we're providing. So I think if you think about sales, you think about marketing, it's all around playing to someone's bias or, or their emotions or their connection. And I think, and I, yes. whilst I love to remove unconscious bias, I want to make sure that I'm playing the bias mm. positively. Exactly. And I, 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 love, I love what you said about the digital footprint. I've been very conscious that my personal and business life online presence are blending mm-hmm. into one. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm inauthentic, but I am very measured Mm-hmm. about the stories I share personally. And I'm very conscious about what it says about me. Um, if, I, if I'm if i going to say that I'm sad and unhappy or struggling or stressed, I put it in context, not as a wound, but as a scar. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying the takeaway from this is what I've learned from this. Mm-hmm. So I think what you're saying there is we've got to be, there's seven seconds, as you say, 10 seconds, 10, seven seconds, two seconds, this ABCDE is beyond just that first visual impression of someone, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, when it comes to your digital footprint, I know that many people think, well, let me just be authentic online, the way I'm authentic offline. But here's the problem with authenticity. Something that authenticity means I don't have to care anymore. I can just do, say, behave whatever I want. And I think the opposite it's obviously you are a human being with, with ups and downs. We all have them. But at the, you know, at the end of the month, at least I rely on a paycheck. And so do many people who work in corporations. So I need to take into consideration that, yes, I should be authentic, even online. But there is kind of a limit on how I can share my opinions, always knowing that possibly I can offend somebody on the other side, for example, or also being aware of you don't know which opportunities you miss out because of your digital footprint. We don't know how many clients don't call us to speak at their conferences because they found that post online or that picture online or that email that has been forwarded to them and we don't even know about it and decide, no, that is not the speaker I want to work with. Yeah, and I suppose the rule I have is that my mum is on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So whenever I post something, I think my mum is going to read this. Yes. How do, <laughs> how do I want my mum to interpret it? So, and my children and my mm-hmm. wife and my friends, not just my business professionals, but I, I I want to, I don't want to alarm people. And I also want to, I, I, I consider myself quite a positive person. So any post I have that it has a, a deep reflection mm-hmm. has to have a, a positive outcome or at least say, this is how I felt. This is why I'm down. This is why I'm not feeling great. Mm-hmm. But I'm taking away from this a positivity or this is exactly. what I'm going to bounce back yeah. with. And, I, yeah. and that, so I, I always have that kind of 
mantra, if you like, in my social media posts to leave people in a story and a, and a journey mm-hmm, and leave mm-hmm. them with a punchline that's positive or at least informative or, or something to take away. So I think, and that's not inauthentic. And I, I agree with you. Authenticity isn't being able to speak without regard, not mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. being being offensive, being derogatory. That's people who, who take that view of, of authenticity, I think I've misread the situation. It's about being true to yourself, but also okay. understanding your place in society as well. I think you have to understand mm-hmm. your social responsibility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, some other thought. First of all, I'm excited that you put so much effort into this and also always ending up ending on a positive note, even if you share something sad or something that impacted you negatively. Because the reality is, if we don't need one more thing, it's more negative people, even in the online space, right? We all like to surround ourselves with positive people who all have struggles. You and I have struggles, and you can absolutely share those struggles online as long as you always keep in mind who is reading it and how could they possibly interpret it. And I'm going to add two more M's. Uh, for you, I always say your mom should be able to read it without having a heart attack, your manager and your minister. <laughs> the three yes. M's. Three M's. At the end, yeah. it's all about showing respect. I think respect is incredibly important. Res- first and foremost, respect for yourself because you are the most important person in your life. You are the CEO of your career. It's not human resources. It's not your boss. It's not your CEO. You are the CEO of your career. So you need to show yourself some respect in that role. And then obviously, only if you show respect to yourself, you have the capability to show respect to others too. Yeah. uh, One of the things I I, I don't know if you remember, there was a, I won't mention the person in detail, but there's someone at uh, the conference we were both at, uh, and he he was talking about the fact that he would never share his political views or other um, polarizing beliefs he he may have mm-hmm. uh, in, in case it turned one side off or lent or he would as you say lose business. I, I take a slightly different approach that I would rather say what I believe, say why I believe something. And if that turns people off, for me, it's almost like we probably weren't good fits anyway. Mm-hmm. There's probably I, – I, my identity as a trans woman can polarise people. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to hide that. I'm going to be me. If that turns you off, then that's fine because I recognise that it's going to turn more people on or mm-hmm. the right people on than the, the wrong people off. Sort of thing. So I think in terms of my authenticity, hinting at my political beliefs without being – a political commentator is important because mm-hmm. I want to talk about social justice. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be leaning to the right. I want to be leaning to the centre and to the left slightly, where we are looking at communities and governments that are investing in people, not mm-hmm. minimising mm-hmm. the state. So I'm, I'm I'm happy to talk about that. I'm happy to sort of talk commentate on some of the the injustices that are going on in the world through that lens as well. So I, and I think that's important because that's part of my brand. Yes, have those yes. opinions. And here's exactly the point. You know, 
you are an expert in this area. We need you to talk about things like that. We need you to educate us on those different things and uh, help us understand the world because we have blind spots. We have our own biases and possibly don't see the things, or quite sure don't see the things through the lenses you see them. However, here's the difference. You are an expert in that area and you can take a stand. If I'm a sales speaker, or if I am a customer experience speaker, then my political opinions are not relevant for my audience. It's always audience and occasion, right? And so I agree and uh, disagree with uh, what that speaker said. Of course, people like you need to take a stand and need to educate us. And part of that education is your personal view on things. That helps me as somebody who don't has the same lenses to identify my blind spots and learn from you. But um, I, on the other side, I speak about first impressions. And when I uh, post something about politics, it rather has nothing to do with my personal political opinion. I never take a stand, but I help people to see both sides of the coin and how first impressions of a politician, for example, impact voter decisions. So it really depends on the audience and on the occasion, especially if you are a leader in a corporation, what you say out there. Uh, what does your uh, political opinion really how or how does it really help or does it just add noise to the crowd mm. i i completely agree with what you're saying and uh, my view is that you you talk about the problem not the person mm -hmm, or the mm -hmm. politics so exactly. the impact of a decision not the decision itself or who made it mm -hmm, so you're talking mm -hmm. about how it affects people and lives and uh, so I, i'm never I, I would never criticize a person Mm -hmm. or demonize a person or create judgment on a person because generally i don't know them i have no I, all i know is what i see on the news or the paper or, or hear about so i'm very, really really conscious about that that judgment you make and it actually annoys my wife that i i will say that maybe one of her comments is unfair and she goes well you always take somebody else's side no, no i'm not taking somebody <laughs> else's side what i'm doing is trying to step back from the person and look at the, look at the decision or the problem and and that's what I want to commentate about, my view on the opinion, not who made it or why mm -hmm. they made it. Mm -hmm. Very well done. And that view helps us to understand the problem without also on top not judging the person you are commenting on. So, I, yeah, I th you said audience and occasion. I think that is – and I talk about context, which is, is what we're saying there, isn't it? It's mm – -hmm. What is good language? What is good to conversation? What is good in one situation, in a different context, with a different audience, can have a different connotation, can have different meanings, um, and can polarize in the wrong way. So I think it is important to mm -hmm, understand mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who your audience is. One, one problem there is when we communicate, very often we focus on the things that we say and how we should say them and when we should say them and what we should say. But the reality, the most important part of communication is actually not speaking. It is listening, active listening. I think we all can do a better job in active listening 
to the other person and then adjusting our communication. But very often we start with what should we say to impress the person to sound interesting, but we rather should be interested, not interesting. That's so true. And I find we, when we communicate and talk, often we're trying to persuade the other person of our belief. Mm-hmm. So if you think about many com- conversations you initiate, it's like I'm saying now, I'm trying to persuade you that I'm right by what I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most conversations are, are like that. And if we're not careful, we don't actually listen to the other people's view or opinion or perspective, or, we, or we're never going to change our view. So it's, tr- it's trying to work out how we can be, an, as you say, active listener, um, not reinforce our confirmation bias, not, not, not play to those biases when we have, and be kind of open to new thinking. Mm-hmm. Empathy. All it requires empathy. If you are an empathetic communicator, you know how to listen well um, to the other person and respond based on what they just told you. Yeah, completely. And I, I think I think that is sometimes not not as prevalent in, in leadership. In many organizations, we tend to promote good technicians, senior mm-hmm. uh, administrators into, into, into leadership roles without giving them the right tools. Because mm-hmm. we, we know we can train leadership. We know we can train leadership. You're not born. Maybe mm-hmm, some people mm-hmm. are, have inherently different personalities that are more uh, attuned to leader roles. But we know we can train leaders now. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. We often don't invest well enough. In those soft skills, the empathy, exactly. the emotion, the yeah. compassion, yeah, yeah. the emotional intelligence, the listening. Yes. yes. Um, I spent 20 years in human resources myself, working for a big organization in uh, Europe. Some of you might actually know them. Um, Karstadt Quelle, which was a retailer, and Thomas Cook, uh, which you certainly know. And I was responsible for building up their management academy for their top 100 leaders. And what was fascinating for me is I always found that we hired leaders for their hard skills, but we fired them because of their soft skills. Or the lack of. Yes, or the lack of soft skills, exactly. And so things like emotional intelligence, conflict management, um, communication skills to a certain degree, they are all so important for leaders in organization. And I encourage everybody listening who is somehow influential in their organization to figure out how to help those leaders um, get ahead in the way they represent themselves, because they also represent your organization by applying these soft skills or the lack of soft skills. But we don't, I don't think we invest enough time. You're completely right. I think it it is a case of recognizing that we can train technical skills. Mm-hmm. We can't always train human attitudes or, or values. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think in the modern world, we look at the way we've moved on from a command and control, hierarchical, very top-down style of management and leadership. We're now in a more collaborative, transformational sort of style where people want to be empowered. They're, they're artisans, they're creators. Mm-hmm. In many roles now, we want to empower people to succeed. And we have to motivate them and manage them and lead them in different ways than we've ever done. And I think COVID brought this home to us that none of us had the experience of COVID in any part of the business. There were 
our leaders were just as scared as our colleagues. Exactly. They had, yeah. they had no tools, and how they reacted was, I think, quite incredible because they adapted very quickly. Mm-hmm. They've got they gone for, they go for, they came from a world where the standard message was we can't do that. That's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To to we have to do that now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was it, it, it was even agile by agile standards, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the mistakes we often make when when we hire leaders in organization is that we so much focus on those hard skills, so much on their past experiences uh, in terms of the titles they had, the responsibilities they had. And don't look enough into their soft skills and especially into their talents. Because as you said, soft skills, still there are ways to kind of train them. You know, we have leadership training programs or other soft skills programs. What you can't train is actually a talent. The talent is something you are born with. When you go back into your childhood and you think of something, you have always been somehow magically be good at you just were born with that talent could be in the creative space could be in the physical space could be in the analytical area Um, then for the rest of your life you will do two things first of all you are always interested in learning more 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 because it brings you joy it fulfills you to apply that talent you can never stop learning about it second it drives you crazy if other people can't do that you think it's so easy to me why is it so hard to others then that's a very good signal it could be one of your natural talents because it feels easy to you because you were born with and when we apply our talents at work when we have that opportunity we thrive we are better employees we are better leaders we just contribute better to the organizational success because we have the ability to apply our natural talents and not just our hard skills which nowadays are given hard skills in any industry are and i hope i don't offend somebody easy to learn i can go on youtube I can go on YouTube and watch videos um, about a specific hard skill and tomorrow I could possibly start to do it yourself, build a house if I want to. And I'm not a contractor at all, right? So hard skills are not hard to acquire anymore. Soft skills, possibly, you can educate and train them over the time of your career. But think about your natural talents. What is a natural talent you can bring to your organization? Because if you can apply your natural talent, you will thrive, your team will thrive, and your company will thrive. Yeah, and I think that's one of the key essences of belonging. You're using your strengths Mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not out of your comfort zone. Maybe you're in your stretch zone, but you're not in your panic zone. You're not complacent. You're not not doing something that's too routine. You're right in that sweet spot of my strength is. And I think what you were saying there, it made me think that maybe that's the cause of some, maybe my own own imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Because some things I do are quite innate. They're quite automatic. They're just the way I do things. And then people go, but you're so good at that. I go, um, I don't understand. I feel kind mm-hmm. of an imposter. Or I feel a bit embarrassed <laughs> that you've, you've pointed yeah. that out. I think, um, I don't think I've earned it and you're mm-hmm. going to find me out. And I think maybe, maybe there's that, that's where the mismatch can occur 
you know, limiting beliefs are imposter syndrome because because we we have an innate ability. Very good thought. Very good thought. I might actually steal that a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and and use it when I help people to understand how they should. Uh, identify first of all the natural talents and make sure that they apply them at work and also find a connection because very often when people identify their talents they are actually not talents that they use at work but everything is connected with everything right if you are a very creative person there will be opportunities for you to show that creativity in work. Might be in your PowerPoint presentations, might be in the way you organize team meetings, but make sure to focus on that talent because it will bring you joy and once again help you thrive. Yeah, isn't there a is it a Japanese saying? Is it gaggy or ikigai or something? Um, what it's what it's saying is that. If you find your passion, find something that brings you joy, find something you can make money out of, and when they all mm. intersect, yes. that's when you're in your that's when you're self actuating. That's when you're in your position of, of, of most power. And I think I look back at my career. So I, I spent 32 years in IT in computing. I ran my own business in IT for 20 or 5, 30 years, and. People always used to say to me, wow, you're brilliant at this. You've got a natural talent or what you've just done is incredible. And I was at the end of it, I used to go, I don't see it. And then what I realized towards the end of that part of my career was that I didn't see that as something that I wanted to be recognized for. Mm -hmm. It was something that I was good at, something I had a flair for, but it wasn't something I was really proud of. It wasn't something that I went, oh, thank you. I want to be the best IT person in the world. It's like, uh, okay, all right, thank you. And I felt a bit embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. But I think now I've found a different passion in diversity inclusion and in speaking and training. So when people give me feedback in a positive way about that, I go, thank you. And it means yes. something because I go, because yeah. I want to be good at this. I want to be recognized for this. Whereas in the past, I maybe didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and so mm-hmm. what you're saying there is really, really resonating with me that finding that sweet spot of mm-hmm. of that passion and passion. ability yes yes is, is, is really is where the magic happens mm-hmm. so we know that probably the most important part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness and rarely do we take the time to think about ourselves and what makes us unique and stand out Right. Um, I have a book coming up called uh, Discover Your Fair Advantage, and it helps leaders to identify 15 unique selling points. You know, unique selling points, USP, is a term that we very often use in marketing um, or sales to describe what is so unique about a product or a service that I'm going to buy it from you and not from your competitor. And I applied those principles um, to a human being, to a professional in the workplace. What is so unique about you as a professional that I should hire you, promote you, buy from you, buy into you? And uh, some of those unique uh, selling points are, for example, your values and beliefs. We both um, are keynote speakers, but probably apply very different values and beliefs to the way we make um, business. 
your origin and your story. I mean, look at, at your amazing story that you went through. Do you apply that in your marketing, in your positioning, that people understand it's such a unique story that helps you stand out? Your natural talents and gifts, your skills and competencies, your experiences and lessons learned, your accomplishments and achievements, or your passions and obsessions. Because we often think when we think of passions, uh, passions are only allowed in our personal life. But no, absolutely not. If you have the opportunity to bring your passion to work, it again will fulfill you uh, with joy and make you thrive. I even um, always encourage leaders to identify a fun fact about themselves and share it. Because after all, we are in a people business, right? We have to go beyond the transaction, the professional transaction between us. And in a people business, find something that is unique about you, a fun fact. You might have a collection of 4,000 Vinyl records, for example, or you might have a unique hobby, or you might be one of 18 siblings, or something fun, unique about you that you can, for example, use as a conversation starter, and where you have instantly a, a common ground that, yes, this is a people business, and uh, you make yourself likable, approachable, accessible by going beyond the business transaction. Yeah, that is so, so true. I, I learned very quickly uh, in, in the business we're both in is that that frictionless, mm-hmm. that easy to transact with, you're, you're, you're there. With, you know they're going to ask this question, so you have that answer. You, you've, you've got your finger poised on the send button. Mm-hmm. It's, there it is. It's in the chat for you. There it is. I'll get that over to you next. Um, and I think that's so important, and we often – we can all have our ego and our divaness, and we can all have our sort of mm-hmm. "Don't you know who I am?" and these are my riders. We can all have that, but really, it comes down to: Do I like you? Do I want to do business with you? Um, and I always, I always start conversations with: How would I like you to feel about me when we leave? Mm. So I, I always start. You know, you talk, you talk about starting mm-hmm. with the end in mind, mm-hmm, but I have mm-hmm. a conversation: How do I want to? What impression do I want to have left that person about me with? Mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. it a and, and have I achieved that? Have I have I left a positive impression? Um, my values, you know, clever, intelligent, good speaker, knowledgeable, mm-hmm. friendly, open—all the kind of words we can use. Have I have I left you with that? And mm-hmm, so I always think that's important that we that we I don't just bump into conversations. I I, I set out with that Perfect. in mind, and yes. uh, so again, so when I'm trying to create that first impression. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the last impression I leave, exactly. not just how it the end goal. Um, I always tell people, we know that the first 11 words of every conversation are the most important ones. People are going to remember you for the first 11 words, in average, of course, that you say. And so most people, at least in the United States, um, start conversations with, with, how are you doing? There is nothing wrong with asking how are you doing if you're actually really interested in how the other person is doing. But other than that, you just wasted half of the 11 words, right? Preparation is key. Do you have a conversation stardom that instantly pulls in the other person, that instantly shows the other person that you care, that you care about them, that you cared to prep, that you went 
let's say on their LinkedIn profile, find out something about them that just happened at work, something positive about their organization. Maybe you have a common contact you could use. Anything that helps people to instantly realize that you care. I have sourced around 24,000 people in the meantime in my audiences. And every time I use an app and ask them, what is the picture perfect um, first impression somebody else should make on you, depending if they are, for example, a realtor or a financial manager or somebody from human resources or a speaker or an event planner, different roles, 24,000 um, responses. And the number one word across all, across all industries is care. Show me that you care. And by the way, it's one of my favorite words because it's actually very easy to imprint that in milliseconds without even doing something obviously near. It's more an unconscious process. The moment you take care of yourself first, people think you have the capability to take care of them too. I repeat that for you. If you don't take care of yourself first, people do not assume that you have the capability to take care of them too. So when I go back to your A, B, C, D, E, what was it, for example, about Joanne when I walked into that room and instantly realized that is a person who cares because she takes care of herself too. And I can see that, right? I can see that in your appearance. I noticed that in your behavior, in your communication and so on. And some people think self-care is selfish. No, it is not. Again, you are the most important person in your life. And if you don't take care of yourself, others don't think that you have the capability to take care of them. And I know for a fact you walked the talk on that because for the first time I, I saw you standing up at that event when you, you spoke on that, uh, was it Thursday morning? I could tell that you were pitch perfect in terms of your presentation, your message. You were complete. You stood up to talk about first impressions mm -hmm. and you lived that, that mantra from mm -hmm. start to finish. And every time we met over the course of those four days, you again you were pitch perfect on every occasion you're on brand and it it wasn't it wasn't a fake or or, or mm -hmm. inauthentic it was who you were and you had that smile and that you were beaming and you whatever you were wearing it showed you off and so you know i i completely i i i became a fangirl <laughs> same um, here same here i'm yeah. glad we connected the two yes. fangirls of each other <laughs> yeah, yeah. but i mean i i was drawn to to look at your website i i've watched some of your show reels and when you go back, you know, you talk about your APCDE, you are connected from the A through to the E in terms mm -hmm. of your brand, your message, the way you behave, your attitude, your compassion, your smile, your interest in people, and your digital footprint reinforces that message. And mm -hmm. it's, um, and I, and I, th I think that's really, I think a power you have is to create that, that complete on messageness and, and i and i don't want to say it's it's not at all fake it's not at all inauthentic it is innate within you as part of who you are yeah yeah, yeah, when yeah. You communicate that with people mm -hmm. it comes across as that is you are truly a person that has this aligned thank you very much thank you you know it it's it was hard work 
It was years of focusing on, once again, self-awareness. I needed to learn about myself, who I am and who am I not. And even if we all play some sort of role, especially in a professional world, how can I play the role that I am still okay with it, that it makes me happy, that it brings me joy, right? And since you mentioned the ABCDE again in my audience, I let them at one point vote on what do you think, which of those elements is the most important one? And actually, it's an unfair question because they all matter. There is no more important one. You have, you, you, you need, you can't look good and behave horrible. You can't, uh, or it's going to be difficult if you're a great communicator with words, but your behavior and your appearance doesn't align, right? So it's all five of them. However, I always then switch the order for them and say, you need to start with your digital footprint first. First, you want to be online the same person as you are offline. But secondly, you don't know how much you miss out on opportunities that you never meet people in a room because they somehow found something in the digital space, a version of your digital you that pushed them away. And you don't know about those opportunities, so start there first. Do you ever find that people are scared of you? Yes. Um, yeah? <laughs> yes. You're, you're, you're too polished. You're too impressive. Yes. You're, yes. Yeah? Yes. So um, maybe you can link that in your uh, show notes or somewhere on your website. I have something called a free perception audit. You take 10 minutes of your time to answer a series of questions and then you will find out what your primary or secondary perception DNA is. And so my primary is somebody called the cosmopolitan, and my secondary is the dramatic one. There are seven different categories. You, uh, Joanne, will probably find out that you are somebody called the avant-garde and the caregiver. Let's give it a try. You test it afterwards and see if uh, I'm right. So just to describe you one of those categories, my own, the cosmopolitan. The cosmopolitan has a keyword called quality. Everything in their life needs to scream quality. They are willing to invest into their clothing, into their education, into their house, into their cars, because quality is important. They don't want to distract from them. If you look into their wardrobes, for example, everything is plain. They are rarely patterned. If there are pattern, they are probably geometric patterns, sharp patterns. Nothing is flowery. Nothing is cute. There are no ruffles. There are, you know, nothing is nice about them. So the cosmopolitan is very often um, perceived as sophisticated, as strong, as powerful. Uh, and every of these categories has a downside. So unfortunately, the cosmopolitan is also not perceived as a people person. They often scare people away because they are so polished, so clean, so sharp, that it takes people a while that they actually go beyond that filter, that harsh filter they have in front of them to find out we are nice people. You know, we are really nice people. And to 
Now, close this circle. What I do is I know that my appearance comes off this way. So I put a lot of effort in my body language, in my facial expressions, in the way that I speak to people to show them a little bit more of that. I'm actually a nice human being and kind. You mentioned my smile. It's nothing that I trained. Right? I'm, I'm not teaching myself how to smile, but it know, I know it's important for me to smile. Because if I would walk into a room and my facial expressions are like my outfits, you know, then, oh, they would be really scared. I look very different when I work with coaching clients one-on-one. Then you would find another version of me because I know it's a very personal situation. I need that warmth that you as a caregiver, for example, has. Does it mean I dress up and I'm somebody else? No, I just use and borrow elements of one of the other six categories that you can find out when you take that free uh, online assessment. Thank you for saying that because my first impression of you was someone who was a little bit aloof, mm-hmm. uh, maybe wouldn't want to speak to me. What and. and uh- but I've, I'm, but I'm of the personality where I will speak to everybody and anybody, mm-hmm. and and avoid those biases or judgments. I will speak to the people serving coffee because I have great conversations yes. with everybody that way. And I think when we first chatted, you were genuinely interested in me, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. came across, and that completely diffused any apprehension I had about talking to you. You were interested mm-hmm. in me. I was interested in you. We had a great conversation. So I think what you're saying there is that, yes, you can have this persona um, that you project, but you have to remember that you have to let people into it. Yes. Otherwise you will end up being the person you don't want to be. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I asked the question because I get people who uh, come up to me and say, oh, Joanne, I, I – Sorry for taking your time. I really appreciate. I've been I've been following you for ages. I didn't I didn't think you'd ever have the the time to speak to little old me. And I go, how how do I create that impression? How do I how do I make it sound like I'm scary and unapproachable? That's mm-hmm. the opposite of who I am. Mm-hmm, of course, mm-hmm. within the first few seconds of conversation, I'm warm. I'm open. I'm hugging. I'm mm-hmm. beaming and interested in that person. And I think, and I think it's part of that A B C D E again. It's, mm-hmm. it's that self management, self awareness of who we are. And making sure we're, we're, we're aligning with how we want to be perceived as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's part of self-awareness, but also understanding that, for example, my assumption is um, you being a transgender, that some people feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable not knowing how to address you, right? Not knowing how to speak to you, not knowing so much from the about the things that you know so well, and then it makes them feel uncomfortable. I have this approach that first, I surround myself consciously, really consciously with people who can learn me, teach me those skills. So I have friends that I reach out and say, help me understand, because it's something I didn't go through. So how how would I know? Right, And very often it's not just reading literature. You really need a human being telling you how to react and act in, in, in such a situation. And the best thing is always just to, to be humble and address it or ask. I would think that would be more comfortable for you than being confronted with somebody who feels uncomfortable because of you. 
Am I right? I, I completely. And you know, one of the biggest fears of getting it wrong and saying and doing the wrong thing, mm-hmm. the big barrier to inclusion. And I, I agree. If if I can detect someone who's leaning away from me or or nervous in my presence, I go. My first reaction is, "What's wrong with me? Why are you scared yeah. of me? What what why why what, what have I done wrong?" You know. Mm-hmm. So I always I was trying to in the education I do is is, is getting people to overcome that fear. Mm-hmm. So part of that part of that is we've already talked about the emotional intelligence, the willing to listen, be self-aware, self-regulate, self-manage, social awareness, all these sort of things. But the other side of that is the CQ, the cultural intelligence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you talked about it there. So you've got the drive mm-hmm. to find out more. You, you're actually interested in people to find out more about people. So mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. drive, you've got knowledge. If you've got that knowledge, you can start to then to apply that and, and, and contextualize it and use that. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're always afraid or you're not interested enough in people or difference or or those challenges, you're never going to learn. And I think, mm-hmm. as you say, there, mm-hmm. cultural intelligence fits with the emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. makes us better people. People, mm-hmm. and we will always make mistakes. I will make mistakes. You will make mistakes. Others will make mistakes. But I think the most important part is to have the awareness that it possibly was a mistake that you just made and learn from it. And if you don't know yourself how to do better the next time, ask your friends. I recently was at an event and with my whole heart, I said something out loud where then when it was, you know, once it was, the words were out, I thought, oh, did I just offend possibly the Afro-American audience members by saying something that I even not meant this way. And I went back to one of my best friends, called him, described the situation. He taught me how to phrase it differently in the future so that there is not such a risk that I offend anyone because I always want to be respectful. And I'm going to make mistakes. I'm making bad first impressions too, as we just heard, right? When you saw me the first time. But it's all about being aware of it and trying to do the best you can. Yeah, I I think that's so true. And I think what you're talking about there is the accountability. Mm -hmm. If I make a mistake, I have to own that mistake. I have to apologize. I have to learn. I have to move on. Because if if I don't learn and I make the mistake again, that says that I don't care enough about you to get it right the second time. So again, that, that human connection is making sure that we we take that personal responsibility to grow and learn mm-hmm. and not exactly. push it back on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what have you got planned in in yeah, I noticed sorry, I noticed just looking at your bio again and I I've, I and I remember when you came on stage you were introduced mm-hmm. um you've got like an opening saying, haven't you? When people read yes. it out about, they describe you. I, yes. Would you, I am you... Austrian by birth, French in my heart, Italian in my kitchen, German in my work ethic, and American by choice. I think that's amazing because, that, as you say, that sums up a lot of the dynamics of mm-hmm. who you are, doesn't it? Yes. That also sums up the accent. Um, and if I, if you don't mind talking about standing out and, and being visible and having a unique selling point, I, sh- I share a quick personal story. Years ago, I have been invited to comment on a politician uh, on a TV show. I didn't even know the politician, but the TV sent a call. And I said, of course, I want to be in front of a camera, right? And then I became a regular guest on that uh, TV show. And when I watched the TV show in the evenings myself. Oh my God, it was horrible. 
it was horrible to hear myself in front or in between all those well-spoken American political experts. They used so yummy, sophisticated words, words that I didn't even understand, but they sounded to me so incredible and so smart. And when I said something in between, it really made me feel uncomfortable. And a few months in, I was invited to the holiday party uh, and the producer, the TV producer I was working with, uh, he and I were sitting down and I shared it with him and I said how embarrassed I am and that I don't understand why they still invite me, basically. And he said to me something that changed forever, forever my view on my uniqueness and my value. He said, your accent is the reason why we invite you. Because first, you sound like an international expert, which made me, you know, feel instantly better about myself. But second, you say things so simple that everybody in the audience understands you while they don't understand what the other political experts say. So I had to learn the hard way that something that I thought is my weakness has actually become one of my superpowers. When I speak nowadays, I regularly notice that the prospects that reach out to me are looking for a somehow diverse speaker. And since two things here come together, she's a woman and she has an accent, obviously some international background, that is often when they make the check mark and say, yes, she is our next speaker. So even if you think that one of your weaknesses is holding you back, consider for a moment if it actually could be your superpower and if you could use it to your advantage. I love that. I love that. And uh, sometimes we have to just accept that we're being tokenized. Mm-hmm. If I boxes, there's a paycheck. Thank you very much. If I mm-hmm. don't, you're going to give it to somebody else. So why why won't I take it? And I, I, I did a conference in Berlin um, 2018. It was my first proper keynote. I got invited to speak in front of 700 people, mainly German speakers with, I mean, speaking English is not a problem in most parts of Germany, but there was a simultaneous translation of the earpieces and all the stuff yes. at the mm-hmm. back of the room. And I stood up in front of this audience and delivered a talk on the power of words. And honestly, it was the first proper keynote I'd done, well, in that size of audience. I'd done little things, small stages. So my imposter syndrome was going mental. <laughs> and uh, I remember standing on stage, and as I walked up, I, I just paused. And I walked to the other end of the stage, and I just paused and looked at the audience, and I walked back. Then I delivered my opening line. And what happened was the audience hadn't appreciated that I was transgender because it wasn't mm-hmm. part of my bio. It was just, here's Joanne. She's here to talk about it. Most of the audience were that big. It was quite tiny because it was a big stage and yeah. they didn't see me. And someone came up to me afterwards and they said, wow, you had me captivated because in that opening mm-hmm. sentence, your voice boomed out and it was so disconnected from your appearance that I was captivated by it. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that taught me that, my voice is part of my brand as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. However much sometimes it frustrates me that it's a bit too deep, a bit too resonant, it is a superpower that I, I, I am able to grab people's attention. Mm-hmm. And 
And people do tell me it's quite a smooth radio voice. It's easy to listen to. So and I think, well, let's just own it. It's not the voice I would have chosen, but it's mine. And let's mm-hmm. use it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Use it to your advantage. Sylvie, it's been amazing. I mean, we've been talking almost an hour. And... Yeah, well, all the places that we went, right? I'm, yes. I'm so fascinated. It has been such a great conversation uh, yeah. with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so honored to be your guest and so glad that we reconnected. And I hope this is not going to be the last conversation you and I have. I mean, for sure, you're going to be in the UK in October next year mm-hmm. uh, for the professional speaking association uk and ireland conference mm-hmm. summit in uh, birmingham so we're definitely going to see each other there and who knows we may bump into each other somewhere in the world in the meantime and, and if we do that'd be amazing yes uh, I hope so, so. How, how can people get hold of you i, I your name isn't obvious <laughs> from the pronunciation so what's your website what's your linkedin profile how do you how do you spell your name well ev- everything goes uh, along with my name which is n- not an easy one sylvie dichusto.com d-i-g-i-u-s-t-o.com but here's a trick if you google first impressions or first impression and speaker and i don't show up on that list then you probably don't have uh, internet so there are many ways <laughs> to find me uh, i'm very active on instagram I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, always reach out to me if you have any any questions um, about first impressions or everything beyond. Uh, Joanne's or Joe's friends are my friends, and I would love to help you in any way. Brilliant. And I've I've been on Sylvie's uh, website, and if you're looking for a great example of a speaker website, Sylvie's website is is top notch and. I'm actually in awe of it thinking, well, I feel so inadequate by the side of it. But so it, no, but it's a great example. The show reels are there, all your programs are there, your testimonials are there. And it's it is an honor to have you on the show today. So thank you so much. And I really do look forward to keeping as in your circle as a business friend and, and networking and meeting up some other place as well. So thank you so much and a huge thank you to also to you the listeners uh for tuning in for getting this far i really appreciate it uh please do subscribe and keep updated on future episodes of the inclusion bites podcast at b-i-t-e-s please share with your colleagues and friends share the link reshare the the linkedin post i have a number of other excited guests lined up that i'm sure you'll be equally inspired by over the next few weeks and months of course if you'd like to be a guest i'd love to hear from you and I'd also welcome any feedback and suggestions how we can improve. Um, my email address is joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. And finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood. It's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.